Well, good morning. I'm glad that you are here. I would ask you to take out your Bible or your electronic device and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to uh, use one of ours this morning. So if you'll just slip your hand up, we have someone to be glad to share a copy of God's Word with you. And then if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home as our gift to you today. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. We have been in a series uh, talking about our identity in Christ. And so this walk through the book of Ephesians is a a, a book that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was written down by Paul, sent to the church at Ephesus, and then literally shared uh, for the next uh, 2,000 years. Uh, We have it in front of us today, and so it's not something that was uh, written for then and doesn't apply now, but in fact is very applicable to our lives. And so we've talked about how our identity is really not tied up in what the world thinks about us, but we should care more about what Jesus has called us to be as followers of Christ. And I just want to uh, just welcome you this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that you're safe in this place. Uh, If you've never asked Jesus into your heart and you don't know anything about this Jesus uh, thing, you don't know anything about Christianity or church, and this is your first time, listen, you're in a safe place. But I want to tell you that this story today is for all of us. It's for those of us who know Christ. It's for those of us who are trying to discover whether Jesus is something I want to be a part of. And I'm going to tell you that today you're going to hear a message of love from God about how much he cares about you. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the movement uh, when we come to Christ from death to life, where, where we come from and wh- what God is doing. And I want to put a phrase in your mind that I want, to, I want you to think about and I want you to process and hopefully take out of, out of here, and that is this. I can change where I go, but I can't change where I've been. I can change where I go, but I can't change where I've been. Would you say that with me? I can change where I go, but I can't change where I've been. Think about that because sometimes, listen, our past can haunt us. And we can't go back and change it. But I can change what I do today. I can change what I do tomorrow. I can change what I'm going to do this week and live my life for the glory of Christ. So I want us to look, Ephesians chapter 2, in the back half of your Bible in the New Testament, and I want to begin reading in verse 1. And it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now this is a powerful passage and and, uh, there's a lot of stuff here and I don't want you to miss it, but I want you to know that this is our story. For those of us who have come to Christ, for those of you who are in journey towards Christ, you're going to find yourself in this place because it begins in verse 1 by saying that we were dead in the trespasses and sins that was we, in which we once walked. So we, as, as humans who live on this earth, we are dead. Why are we dead? We're dead because of our sin. Paul wrote to the church at, at Rome in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He then went on to say in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is what? Death. So sin is not your friend. (laughs) Sin may feel good for an instant, but is killing you on the inside. There are two words that are found here in Ephesians chapter 2, trespasses and sin. The original language, the word for trespass is paramatoma, and what it means is to slip, to fall, to stumble, to deviate. It's actually a picture of moral failure. The second word is sin, which is translated as hamartia. It is, it is uh, described as a violation, a, a breaking of the law. And the best picture that I've ever heard of this word hamartia is actually an archer shooting for a target and completely missing the target. Not like I got the outer edge of the target, but like the target's here and I shot over here. I mean, a complete missing of the mark. So these two words are what are described here in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 that our trespasses and sin are killing us. That it makes us dead. Romans 3 tells us that we all have this issue. We all have the problem with sin. And then verses 2 and 3 are a description of what that looks like. In verses 2 and 3, it says that we have lived in this place. We have lived uh, towards the the passions of our our life. We've lived under the power of the prince of darkness. We we have been sons of disobedience. Uh, Verse 3 says that we followed the passions of our body and our mind, and we've done what we've wanted wanted to do. And so this is a description, not really very encouraging, is it? It's not very uplifting to think that that's who we are and maybe where we are, but that is where we have been. As I begin to think about that, so many of us live with the guilt of our past. And I just want to take a minute and I want to encourage you. I want you to know that any time as a follower of Christ, that you are reminded of your past, that you need to know that that's not God's work in your heart. When God says that He will forgive you, Scripture says He not only forgives you, but He forgets it, He cleanses it from your life, and He puts it where you can't even get to it anymore, uh, where He doesn't remember it anymore. So if you are reminded of the sins of your past, 
That is the work of the devil in your life. And as a follower of Jesus, this is great. We've got the power to tell him to get out of here. I don't know if you know that, but you do. Scripture says that we, as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, as as a part of the family of God, have the ability to say, in the name of Jesus, devil, you got to get out of my life. You don't have any place here. You don't have any power here. And so you can take that bad thought, that reminder of my past, that reminder of my failure, and you can just get out of here. You can send him away. And if you don't do that in your life, you should try it out. I tell you, I I have been in some places where I felt the oppression of the evil one. And I have, and sometimes I, I, I just felt an overwhelming darkness in the presence of where I was. And I have, in the name of Jesus, cast that, the, the devil out of those places. And I'll tell you, it's, it, it can get scary. If you don't think the devil is real, if you don't think that he's powerful, man, he's tricked you. And you need to know he is very, very real. But many of us live with the darkness of our past. Now remember what I said. I can change where I'm going, but I can't change where I've been. I thought about the places that I've been, the places that I've lived. Some of you have never lived anywhere else. You've lived in one place your whole life. Well, I haven't. And I began to think about all the places I live, and I wrote them down. I've lived in Camden, Dixon, Greenville, Bonham, Locksburg, Hampton, Arkadelphia, Curtis, Jesseville, Rogers, Fort Worth, uh, Grand Prairie, Little Rock, Whitehall, Hot Springs Village, Fort Smith, Grand Prairie, Pampa, and now the best place I've ever lived is right here, Spearfish, South Dakota. Okay? Now, that's a lot of U-Haul trucks. Okay? That's a lot of moving around. In fact, one time Dana said, we got to stop moving around. I'm just tired of boxes. I'm tired of moving. And, but here's the thing. My past does not have to define my future. You hear me? The things that have happened in my past don't have to define me, but I cannot change where I have been. I'm still, as much as I would love to drop my southern accent and have people believe that I really love living here, they'd say, where are you from? I'm from Spearfish. No, you're not. I am, really. No, you're not. Why? Because where I am from even comes out in the way that I speak. But my past does not have to define my future. Do you hear me? The things that have been a negative part of my past do not have to define where I am headed because I can change where I go, but I cannot change where I have been. So where do you live? Are you living in darkness? Are you following Satan and his evil ways as is described in verses 2 and 3? The commonality of humans that live on this earth is that we are all born into sin and we continue to live in darkness until by the grace of God we might see the light of Christ and the hope of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But until then, we are walking in darkness without hope under the power and the manipulation and the control of Satan. And Paul uses the words here in Ephesians that we are sons of disobedience. So as I thought about that, I thought, well, that's not what I want to put on my resume. That's not what I want to describe myself as, as a son of disobedience, because that's not a real positive term. But as I thought about it, that's the description of our hearts. Because 
I have never met anyone who said, you know what, Pastor? I've just had a hard time learning how to sin. It's just really hard for me to figure that out. Most of us are like, man, it's so easy for me to fall into sin. It's hard for me to follow Jesus. It's hard for me to make the right decisions. It's hard for me to run away from temptation and to make the right choices. So we fall into that sin nature, and we've all been there, what verse 3 says, that we've satisfied ourselves to different degrees, but we've all been there living to satisfy our desires and living for our own pleasure. But here's the, here's the thing that I love about this passage, because verses 1 through 3, man, it kind of puts us in a dark light, but then you get to verses 4 and 5, and it's exciting, because there's two words in verse 4 that if you underline stuff in your Bible, and I believe you should mark it up, remember it, highlight it, circle it, write notes in there, and, and I think when we get to verse 4, what we see is two very powerful words, some of my most favorite words in the Bible. It says, but God... I love that because here I am in darkness. Here I am in sin. Here I am in a place of desperation. And God steps in. We talked about in Ephesians chapter 1 that God wants to invest in your mess. God is willing to get involved in where you are. And that's what verse 4 talks about. But God. So I'm in a place where I have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. But God steps in. Look at verse 4. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Man, those are powerful words because I can change where I am going, but I can't change where I've been. And so God steps in and says, here is where the road deviates. Here's where we go from the, the wide path towards hell to the narrow road that leads to heaven, where God steps in and says, because I love you, because of my great love for you, I'm stepping into your world and I am providing a way of escape. He's doing that because he loves us, because verse 4 says he is rich in mercy. Verse 5, because he wants to make us alive. He wants to take the death of the sin that's, that's killing us. It's, it's killing us. And he wants to make us alive. That's the picture of what happens. That's why do, we, why do we baptize people the way we do? Why do we pull this tank in here and, and put people in, in the water? Is the water holy? The water's not holy. It's spearfish water, whether you like it or not. And, but the picture is this, that when we die to our sin, we are laid back like somebody is put into a casket. And the only person that ever got up out of his grave is Jesus Christ. What's the difference between Jesus and, and any other quote-unquote religion in this world is there's only one that's risen from the dead, and that's why we worship him. And that's where the power comes from, the power of the resurrection that gives us the power to overcome uh, our sin is that Jesus comes in and he says, I'm going to make a difference in your life. And so we were dead in our, in our sin and our transgression, and we've been given uh, new life. You've you got to understand that what, what happens in verses 4 and 5 is that we now have this undiscovered opportunity in our lives for the first time to tap into the love of God, to tap into the power of God, and to tap into the power of the resurrection of Christ in our lives because of His great love for us. 
Love enough that he, God sent his son, Jesus, to pay my price and your price for your sins on the cross so that we might have hope, so that we might have salvation. It's, it's rich in mercy, which is an, an undeserved thing that we never could earn. God gets involved. He, he gets down into the nitty-gritty of our mess, and, and He offers us a change. He offers us a hope, and He's made us alive, taking our death of sin and, and turning it into life, a spiritual death because of our sins. And, and even while we were slipping away from our sins, God made a way for us. Did He have to do that? No, he didn't. But Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, that God demonstrates his love for us even that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us. He's invested in our mess, and he comes in. And, and listen, <clears throat> there's a lot of people who say, Pastor, I, I can't come to Christ because my life is a mess. Listen, God takes us right where we are, and the cleaning of your heart and the cleansing of your soul and the change in your life happens after you give your life to Christ, not trying to clean it up before because you know what? You'll never get it clean enough. You'll never get your heart in the right place. You'll never do enough good things to earn the salvation that Christ offers. Uh, an old redneck told me you don't clean the fish until you catch them. <laughs> right? We don't clean them in the water. We clean them after we're done fishing. That's what Jesus does with you. Once he gets your life, he then does the work on your heart. So there's a clarifying statement that we find in verse 5 that's super important, and it says this, by grace you are saved. Now that's important. That word grace is powerful. That the, the, the terminology is, is jam-packed with meaning. That grace, that love, that mercy, that's all undeserved, yet God says in Ephesians 1 that He lavishes that on us because of His great love for us. And so as I thought about grace and I thought about trying to explain it this morning, I, I found a, a great passage that I want to read to you from a writer named Paul Tripp. And if you're looking for a daily devotional, Paul Tripp has written a great one, Tripp with two Ps. I'd highly recommend it for a daily devotional. But he wrote this about grace, and so I want to read it to you this morning. He says, grace, you need it. You can't live without it, but you can't purchase it, and you can't earn it. It only ever comes by the means of a gift. And when you receive it, you immediately realize how much you needed it all along. And you wonder how you could have lived so long without it. In a fallen world populated by selfish, lost, fearful, and rebellious people, it is the one thing that everyone needs. And you can't only give it, and you, and you can only give it to someone else when you have first been given it yourself, because you can't give away what you do not have. You see, God's grace is the most powerful force in the universe, so I would have to argue that it's the most beautiful word in the universe. It reaches you where you are, and it takes you where God wants you to be. It has the power to do something that nothing else can do, to transform you at the core of who you are as a human being, 
at the center of your heart. Grace is God's undeserved favor given to us because of His great love. And I love that description because God's grace, listen to me, is the vehicle by which God uses to bring us from death to life. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way. God has brought us back to life because He loves us and has a reason for us to be here. And so He desires a relationship with us and for us to tell the world about Him. God doesn't want to save you just because He wants to save you. He wants to save you so that you can tell somebody else about what God's done for you. Now look at verse 6. Because here's where God begins to show off. And this is incredible. Look at verse 6. It says that He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming, coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It says that God has raised us up with Christ. Have you ever been in a place where you just didn't feel like you fit? Where, where you, were, you felt out of place, maybe it was too fancy, maybe it was, uh, they're just a lot of important people and I don't feel nearly important enough, you just feel like you're in a place that I, I don't, I don't, I just, everybody's different from me. <laughs> I mean, I've been in some rooms that I've, I've thought to myself, just don't touch anything because you'll break it. I, I still don't understand why people put white carpet or white couches in places because I'm just, I'm just assuming that I've got something on me that's going to make it dirty. I, I just, and so I'm nervous or I, I've been in a place where important people are and I feel super unimportant. It feels weird, doesn't it? So verse, verse 6, kind of in, in the beginning for me, kind of feels like I don't, I don't belong here. God has raised me up to a place where I'm in, in the presence of Jesus Christ, and I know who I am. I mean, when I look in the mirror, I don't, I don't always see the positive things that God could do in my life. Sometimes I see the mess that I am. I see the problems that I'm facing. I see the challenges that, that I'm making a mess of. And, and, and I don't see the potential of what God wants to do. And so I, I get in the presence of Christ and I, and I feel like I don't belong. Because Satan's reminding me of my sin and he's, he's chipping away at my confidence and my identity. And, and, and I begin to think, I, I don't belong here. God, you're raising me up, but I don't fit in this place. And that's where... We recognize that God says, listen to me, it's not about you. It's about my work in you. It's about what I've done in your heart. It's about the power of grace. It's about the power of transformation. Because verse 2 says that He has raised us up from where we used to live, and He's done it through the power of grace, verse 5, and now He wants to show us off. <laughs> He's raised us up to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Why? Because we've been adopted in. You remember chapter 1, verse 5? It says that when we come to Christ, that we're adopted in as children of God. So you hadn't earned your way to be there. You've been gifted it by the gift of the, of the grace that God has given to you. 
And he's saying to us that he loves us. He's saving us. He's lifting us out of the trouble that we've been surrounded by. And verse 7 says that he's lifted us up so that he can show us off. So that he can show how his grace through Christ is, is showing off. Have, have I got any grandparents in here this morning? Raise your hand if you're a grandparent. All right? Grandparents are the worst. I mean, they're the worst. I mean, some of you are not old enough to remember, but when grandparents used to have babies, grandbabies, they would say, look at my grandbaby, and they would unfold pictures. Now, for the younger generation, pictures used to be printed on photo paper, and you put them in your wallet, and you carried them around, and then a grandparent would have this portfolio of their grandkids that they would bore you with for the next 45 minutes or however long you would sit there and look at it. Well, now with, the, with electronics, it's not 45 pictures, it's 4,500 pictures. And, and they're the worst. They'll sit there and swipe and show you 26 pictures of the exact same thing. And as much as I love children, I'm going, man, I can't tell any difference between the past 72 photos that you've shown me. And you're, yeah, your kid is cute, but I mean, I'm done, you know? Now... I'll be a grandparent one day, hopefully, and, and I'll bore you, all right? But grandparents, if I can just chase this rabbit for a second, you guys have got the weirdest thing because you, you, you're proud. Why? Because grandkids are better than real kids because you can mess them up and send them home with their parents. I mean, it's not even fair. It's not even a good system. And if I could figure out how to fix it, I'd make a billion dollars because you guys just spoil the kids and give them knives and guns and candy and then just send them home with their parents and we've got to figure it all out. Anyway, I need counseling with that. But, <laughs> but here, here's the thing that you, you have to see. God is so in love with you. He doesn't want to hide the work of your heart. He wants to show it off. And so verse 6 says that he, God has raised us up to be in the place, in the heavenly places where Christ Jesus is. And then verse 7 says he wants to show off what he's done with your life. Your story of transformation, your story of God working in your life is not meant to be hidden, but it's meant to be told. See, here's what you got to understand, that there is no one more interested in seeing your life change for the better than God. God wants to see you overcome that sin. God wants to see you overcome that temptation, that addiction, that struggle, that burden, that problem, that, that thing that just is wrecking your life. God is your biggest cheerleader, and he is the one who has the power to help you overcome that. And when life change happens, listen to me, he wants to sit down and go, you got to watch and see, look, look at the photos, 80,000 photos of how God is working in Doug's life and and you just, it just never gets old. And it's like a grandparent excited about their grandkid because they just can't help but share because they love them and they care about them. And that's what God feels about you. He loves you. And he's passionate about the change that's happened in your heart. And God has a world filled with success stories and he wants the world to know because other people can have what you've got. That power of restoration and transformation that God's done in your life and in mine is not meant to be bottled up and, and never shared. It's meant to be told to the whole 
world. And so God wants people to know. But then he reminds us that this work of salvation has not come because of us. Look at verse 8. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. This is super important because we keep coming back to this because grace is so important. Grace is the reason why that we can, we can accept what God has given to us. He's given to us what we do not deserve. It's that undeserved favor given because of God's great love. But it's by grace alone that it happens. It's not because you're good enough. It's not because you're born in the right family. It's not because you, you, you do enough good things. It says, verse 8, it is the gift of God. God gives us salvation. God gives us forgiveness. God gives us transformation. It's the blessing for those who choose to accept it. But it comes by grace. There's a lot of people who believe that, man, if you're good enough, if you give enough money to needy people or to the church or to some organization, or if I can just help enough people, or if I can just do enough good deeds, then God will love me and take me to heaven. And I want to tell you, listen to me very carefully. We live our lives every single day with very good people who are going to bust the gates of hell wide open. They're good people, moral people, generous people. But you don't get to heaven because of those things. You go to heaven because you give your heart to Jesus and you follow Him and that's the only way. And I know by reading God's Word that it must break His heart to know that there are people who are fooled to think if I'm just good enough that I'll go to heaven. It's by grace that you're saved. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't work for it. That's what he says in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Not by works so that no one could boast. I love this because this evens the playing field. Because some of you just have a mindset and a heart where good works just come out of who you are. I mean, you just think of ways, creative ways to bless people. I mean, I hear some things and I think, man, I wish I'd have thought of that. That's a great idea. I'm going to steal it now and do it, but I wish I'd have thought of that. And, and, and some people just seem to be more attentive to other people's needs and to blessing other people. And, and, and some of us go, I, I, I just don't, I don't think about that. And I want to, and I, I want to be that person. And so verse 9 says, listen, you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. So God's not up there going, well, you missed that one. I guess maybe not. You're saved by grace. Your salvation is not tied up in, man, does God, if I can just do enough good things, then God will love me more. Listen to me very carefully. God loves you, period. He loves you like crazy. And you're never going to get more of God's love than what you're already getting. He, he loves you. Now, our works come because of a changed heart. So it's, it's a separate thing. Our salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. When we come to Christ, 
God begins to put a want to in our heart that wasn't there before. It's, it's always funny to me to, to hear somebody begin to describe, Pastor, I don't know what it is, but after I come to Jesus, I just want to help more people. I just want to do good things. I, I want to give away some of what I have. I, I want to be generous with my lifestyle. And I don't understand. Well, I understand. When God gets a hold of your life, he gives you a different set of want to's. And he begins to open your eyes to be able to see how you can be a blessing to other people. Where before you were selfish. And you were thinking of yourself and self-centered. But here's what, here's what happens is that our service begins to be pointed towards Christ. We don't earn our salvation. It's given to us by grace. And the greatest thing that we begin to find is that if, if, if it was by works, then, then some other people might get farther ahead. Listen, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It doesn't matter if your grandma was a Christian and every grandma, great-grandma, great-grandfather, your whole family. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you were born in the right family or born with the right things. Listen, all of us have the opportunity to come to the cross of Christ and accept Him as Lord and Savior. Because we come by grace, not by works. And so God gives us the opportunity to come with the same opportunities, with the same possibilities, with the same ability to accept salvation and live in the shadow of the cross and the power of the resurrection of Christ. So what does that look like? Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand and we should walk in them. Paul begins to say, you are a masterpiece. I love being around craftsmen. I, I love being around people who can take what looks like nothing and make it into something incredible. Metal, wood. There, there's, just, you know, there, there's just people who are able to create things. They, they take their hands their imagination, their mind, their giftedness, and they begin to do something that's just miraculous before your eyes. I've always wanted to do it. <laughs> My grandfather was a carpenter, a great, very skilled carpenter, and I was dumb enough that I didn't learn those skills. Uh, so I, I have it in my blood somewhere, and I wish I could get it out. But I have never been able to do that. But there's some things that are special to me. After Dana's parents passed away, we went through her dad's shop and we found some wood and we, took, we brought some of that wood back. And one of the things that Addison and I decided to do was to do a project from that wood and make a picture frame so that we could always remember uh, her grandparents. And so we took that wood and we planed it and we sanded it and we, we cut it in a certain way and we glued it together. And if you looked at that picture frame, you would go, man, did you buy that from a garage sale? Because I'm not a craftsman. <laughs> But for Addison and I, we don't really care what you think because we think it's a masterpiece. And we'll always remember what that stands for and what that represents. You see, here's the thing. When we look in the mirror, we begin to evaluate ourselves. And sometimes even when the world looks at us, they see our mess. We see our mess. We see our faults. We see our failures. We see the things that are not what we wish 
If we could change some things about ourselves, we would do that probably because we want to try to measure up to an identity that's not really true. But you need to know that when God looks at you, he sees a masterpiece. When God looks at your life, he didn't go, man, I wish I hadn't scuffed that. (laughs) I I wish I'd have done this a little bit different. When God looks at your life, listen to me very carefully, because this will change your life if you'll let it live out in, in who you are. God created you as a masterpiece. He's looked at your life and, and he said, you know what, I, I, didn't, I didn't need another version of Doug. I, I, I wish I'd have changed this. If I had it to do over, I, God created you to be the perfect person that you are. Psalm 139 says that when you were conceived that in your mother's womb that God knitted you together to be exactly who you are. So we compare ourselves to other things. And we try to get our identity from some other place. But I want you to know, God doesn't say, oops. God didn't say, man, I wish I had changed this. That person needs an update. That person needs a change. God looks at you and says, exactly who I created you to be. So this helps me see, and I hope it helps you see, that my identity is not in what the world thinks I should be. My identity is not in in my past. Although I've got some scars I've got some scrapes. I've got some wounds that have, that have healed back over from my past. But listen to me. I cannot change my past, but I can change my future. I can control where I'm going, but I cannot control where I've been. My story and your story, from death to life, from sin to salvation, from desperation to praise, from the valley to be able to look up and see the cross of Jesus Christ. From the brokenness to healing. From living ashamed to being proud as a child of the King. From healing our wounds and celebrating our scars because they represent the act of deliverance that God has given to us. My power and your power is in today. It's in tomorrow. It's in what I'm going to be through the power of God at work in my life. Because I can change where I go, but I cannot change where I've been. Here is the message of hope that I have for you today, my friend. And that is that God offers you the rescue from your life of struggle and sin into the freedom of Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, I quoted earlier the first part. It says that the wages of sin is death. But the end of that verse says this, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an incredible, powerful verse. And so then I want to tell you this, that if you who do not know Christ, who've never asked Jesus into your life, who are living verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians chapter 2, living for your own uh, body, your own mind, for your own desires as a son of disobedience in acts of, of rebellion against God. If you today want to come and be saved by the grace of God that has been go, given to you by a God who is rich in mercy, listen to me, if you will confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says that you will be saved. That's good news for a hurting world. I want you to know that those words transformed my life because I came to the place that I said, I need the grace of God. I need forgiveness of my sins. I no longer want to live in darkness and death. I want to live in the light of Jesus Christ. And when I confessed my sins to God, He forgave me and He saved me for eternity. That's not just for me. It's for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your great love for us overwhelms our lives. I thank you for those two words, but God, because Lord, you have walked into our mess and said that you will rescue us. And so, Lord, if there is a man or a woman, a college student, a teenager, a child today who needs to give their heart to Jesus, Lord, I pray that the power of your grace would be upon us this morning. And God, that we would not turn away from you, but instead today that we would, with open arms, in open hands, ask you to come in to our lives today. God, I pray for those who need to choose you as Savior, Lord, that you would give them the power of Romans chapter 10 that says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you have raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Lord, we pray that for our friends today. I pray for courage. I pray for uh, the wisdom to know that this is the right thing for them to do with their lives. God, for those of us who know Christ, this morning I pray that we would be reminded once again of your great and rich love for us, your, your mercy, your grace. And God, that we would not keep our story pent inside of our hearts, but instead, Father, that we would tell the world about the transformation of what you've done in us. Lord, we we thank you for the power of grace. As Paul Tripp said, it is the most beautiful word in all the universe. And God, we pray that we would share it, that we would live it, and that we would worship you for the grace that you have given to us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the cross and the resurrection from the grave. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.